Hi, I'm Terry Zabolski, pastor of Grace Community Church in Mechanicsburg, Pennsylvania. I'd like to thank you for listening to this week's message. I hope and trust that God's Word is a blessing to you as you live for Him each and every day. We live in an increasingly dangerous world. Have you noticed that? We're no longer in the Ozzy and Harriet world, as some of us remember uh, back in the 50s and 60s, early 60s there. You know, leave it to Beaver and all that. They're, 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 his Beaver's problems seem so tiny compared to problems today in families and in schools and neighborhoods. It's just unbelievable. I mean, when I was in school, the biggest thing uh, we could get nailed for was what? Chewing gum. I can't tell you, I wore gum on my nose in more classes. I thought I could chew it and no one would see it, you know. But Miss Woodworth, she was an eagle eye, that poor lady. She was trying to teach me English, and my brilliant question was, Miss Woodworth, we already speak English, why do we have to study this stuff? I was like, I needed to be taken out in the woodshed and just beat silly, you know. God's trying to teach me English knowing that I'd spent all my days with words and in his word and trying to write, and I didn't know anything, that blessed lady. And you compare that to today in society, it's just unconscionable, the difference so fast. Well, we live in an increasingly dangerous world. Don't be naive, please. Be aware. Be like a serpent, wise. Jesus used that illustration. Evil men lurk about and seeking to harm. They do. Diseases strike out of nowhere. All of a sudden, we're stricken. Accidents seem to find us, even when we're very aware. Driving down the road, not on the cell phone. Don't drive being on the cell phone. And other things, you know. Be careful about that. Even when we're most careful, things find us. Did you read about that terrible tragedy there in Ohio this week. That uh, young man was drunk driving the wrong way on the intersection for four miles. Wrong way. And ran tragically into a, a van and, and killed four, four people, a mother and, and children, and, and terribly. They were on their way, who knows where, to Toledo or Detroit on that interstate and suddenly snuffed out. Accidents, they seem to find us. Or even old friend Kel, who I hired to be a high school principal, was there trimming his parents' trees there out in Michigan and fell off the ladder and broke uh, his certain uh, bones and then died within a week. Kel, to Kel Taylor. You say, well, how could that happen? And uh, here Irene had him cremated and brings him back home from that trek in a little urn as dust that remained, his soul is in heaven. Uh, uh, accidents seem to find us. Political enemies desire our destruction. Do you know that? Al-Qaeda, and that they'd blow us up if they could. And uh, not only personal enemies, but political enemies. Well, I, I, do you agree with me? We need far more than a homeland security. That's not quite enough, is it? I don't think it is. I'm glad they're there. I'm glad. But uh, if you're counting on that, 
uh, you're in trouble. Listen, our hope is not in Washington, D.C. Do you know that? It's not. I hope you pray for our leaders. We need to. They're servants of God in civil matters. We're glad they're there, right? I'm glad 911, that uh, when you have a problem and you hit 911, someone really answers the phone, right? That's part of government, to be a terror to evildoers, to promote the common good. They're servants of God. Romans 13, we're glad for them. But our ultimate and final help is not in Washington. It's not. It's spiritual. It's with God himself. Well, in our attempt to feel secure, many of us, don't we place security in passing things? These things are okay in their place. They have a benefit for sure, but it's very limited. But ultimately and finally, if you're thinking of ultimate security and ultimate protection, it's, it's an illusion. It should be Ill, uh, illusion there. They're illusionary. Money. You say, well, I've got a pile of it. That won't protect you. It may, it may help. It may provide something. We're to be wise stewards. There's no question about that. We're to, we're to not spend every dime we have. Be careful of credit. I would stamp all cards out here. People get in such problems with credit. Spend less than you make. Put some away for a rainy day. You're going to have rainy days. Put some away that you can give to those that have needs that you meet and be generous. That's the happy person. More blessed to give. The happy people are those that realize that, that nothing we have is ours. What if you have that you haven't received? Everything. And so be generous. Be generous with the Lord's work. Be generous. And they're the happiest people in all the world. The people that hold on like this. It's my security. Can't let any of it go. Very unhappy people. Don't live that way. Don't. Money sometimes is that illusionary. Insurance. I got a piece of the rock. I'm okay. I'm covered. Ultimately and finally, look at the insurance industry. has been rocked by this subprime mortgage. Some of them are in trouble. And the truth yet needs to be told. They're shaking and quaking. Some of these great natural disasters down in New Orleans and Florida have really rocked a lot of these people that thought they had the rock. I'm glad they're there. They serve a purpose. We're thankful for that. But that's not ultimately and finally our security, is it? Our education. Get all the education you can. It's a good thing. But it's not a God. Get the training. Develop your mind, your abilities, your skills. Whatever God has put in your heart. He's given you talents and abilities. He's given us opportunity. Go for it. But ultimately and finally, what's that? Okay, it isn't. Your health. Oh, boy. What a passing thing that is. We could open our mouth and breathe a bug today. We say, I don't know why we say bugs. <laughs> They're a terrible thing. Those of you that ride motorcycles know what that is, right? <laughs> we get a bug and you, could, you wouldn't get out of the bed the rest of your life. That's how weak and frail we are. It's, we hold on by a thread, as it were. And we have uh, uh, cells in us all the time. They're cancerous-type cells. We have... Uh, we have germs in our body all the time. You have staph on your body all the time. You know that? Wash your hands a lot. You have staph. Don't put your fingers in. Why? It'll war against your body. It's, your health is so fragile. So I have health. Well, you may not tomorrow. A job, it's secure. Oh, yeah? Really? Have you read the papers? I grew up in a blue-collar town where they used to make all sorts of things, steel and paper and chemical. 
You go up there today, it's a wasteland. It's all gone. They've ripped down all the factories. Good-paying jobs. People could raise their family. They filled our churches and neighborhoods. And you know, the air smelled terrible. The sodium from the paper mill, I'll never forget that. Or when they poured the, uh, the kettle of the uh, molten iron at the ironworks. We could smell it in the air. Everyone said, everyone's money smells differently. But they raised families and they filled churches and gone forever. Say, we're, we're, we're unionized. They were, many of them, gone, gone, gone. Oh, with a, such speed, gone. How about your friends? See, I've got plenty of friends. And we're, aren't we thankful for friends? Aren't we thankful for a church that we're friends and family? But uh, they may support us and stand with us, and we're so grateful for that. Most of the world could care less. They could, they could care less. They don't even notice. We're grateful. For it. But ultimately and finally, it's not our friends, our abilities, or even our youthfulness. We may say, well, I've got a lot of years. You, you don't know that. You don't. We don't know. God sets all the boundaries. However, I say when the rough winds blow, all of these will fail us. They will. Well, Psalm 91 provides the answer to our security. And that is, it's only found in God and in God alone. I'm going to say it at the end of this message that Paul says in Acts 17, as he quotes the pagan poets who are right, when he says of the Lord, in him we live, move, and have our being. You know, that's right. In him we live, move, and have our being. It is God. He is our only source of security. Everything else is like sinking sand. Don't we sing that? The psalm is written to urge you to trust, but more to cling. There's a difference, isn't there? Trust, we believe God, but more than that, we cling. We are to cling to the Lord in all of life's circumstances. Now, Psalm 91 is is the most cheery, happy face. Our, our kids used to come home with happy faces on their homework if they did well. You can almost take one of those happy faces and put it right over Psalm 91 because this is the most cheerful, trusting radiance of the noonday sunlight, if you will, that shines in this uh, uh, even more so than most of the others. Psalm 46 is similar, and we sang, Luther is a mighty fortress is our God. But uh, Spurgeon said it right, there's no psalm more cheerful than this Psalm 91. It's bright, it's simple, and it, and it exudes with cheerful trust. It's so beautiful. Well, there are two assurances of safety provided for you and for me when we who know him as Lord and Savior walk closely with him. And that's what I want to urge you to do. Last week we saw the great commandment for New Year's to love the Lord with all your heart, your soul, and your strength. We're, that's what God wants. That's what, it's a love relationship. And some of you know some of the pagan religions and the other things that float around in the world. And they're all for naught. But true Christianity is a love relationship. Isn't that great? Our God loves us. You never hear of that of Muhammad, with Allah, or Hinduism, or any of these other nonsense, non-existent type of deities. In fact, it's the worship of demons. 
But the God that is, has provided for all of our sins because he loved us in Christ. He loves us, and we are to reciprocate and to respond to that, to love the Lord with all our heart, our soul, and our strength. Two assurances of safety provided for us when we walk closely with the Lord. May 2008 find us walking in the very shadow of the Almighty. Look at Psalm 91. Let's read parts of it. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge, my fortress, my God, in whom I trust. And under His wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness will be your shield and rampart. You will not fear the terror of night, nor the arrow that flies by day nor the pestilence that stalks in the darkness, nor the plague that destroys at midday. A thousand may fall at your side and ten thousand at your right hand, but it will not come near you. You will only observe with your eyes and see the punishment of the wicked. If you make the Most High your dwelling, even the Lord, who is my refuge, then no harm will befall you. No disaster will come near your tent. For he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. You will tread on the lion and the cobra. You will trample on the great lion and the servant. Now notice these last verses. For God breaks right into the Psalms writing and he speaks first person here. This is, this is, these are God's words. Look what he says in verse 14. Because he loves me, says the Lord, I will rescue him. I will protect him, for he acknowledges my name. He will call upon me, and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble, and I will deliver him and honor him. And with long life will I satisfy him and show him my salvation. Well, there are two assurances of safety provided for us when we walk closely with the Lord, all because I want to urge you to be walking ever closer to the Lord than you ever have in all your life, to walk in the shadow. Now, in teaching this before, I always thought of my young daughter when she was only yay high. And we lived in Indiana, and we would go walking after dinner down this lane that was undeveloped, and sometimes the sun would be setting there, uh, over the western horizon, and it would be casting on those uh, Indian summer evening days long shadows. And I remember so distinctly looking behind and seeing Sarah skipping, jumping. And I said, what are you doing, honey? What are you doing? I'm jumping in your shadow, Daddy. I'm jumping in your shadow. It reminded me that uh, to be in the shadow of one means you've got to be pretty close, Right? You've got to be really close, not quite stuck on, but not too far away. And there she was, hopping down the lane, jumping in her daddy's shadow. Well, that's what the psalmist is saying, that he who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. Well, the first assurance, verses 1 to 8, God assures that those of us who walk closely with him will be protected from the many dangers that are in this world of ours. 
Well, the writer, and it may be Moses, it's not identified. Psalm 90 is Moses' psalm. But uh, Psalm 91, it's next to it in the collection, and uses the same uh, phrase that uh, we find in Psalm 90. And so some think maybe Moses wrote this as well. The same phrase that, uh, that uh, is used in 1991 is God is called the dwelling place of his people. And so that may indicate, it may not, but uh, it's interesting to think about. Anyway, the writer begins this theme, and then he breaks into a personal confession in verse 2. Well, the theme is, uh, number one, to, to find this security, you know that we must dwell near the Lord. And this means that uh, you must live your life walking daily in close fellowship with him. One of the great joys of uh, being married to faith is, uh, is the sweetness of fellowship that we enjoy. And I couldn't imagine going very, very long without, uh, if I were away and traveling and, and, uh, and calling her and talking with her and just enjoy times together. And sometimes we go down to the coffee shop and we just talk and and just being together, it's one of the sweetest pleasures that, uh, that I have in life, living close to her. It's sad through the years to, to see a husband and wives having trouble and the estrangement and the, the really strong negative feelings that uh, are sometimes there. And it, it's sad, for it ought to be the sweetest of fellowship. I've often said that in wedding ceremonies, that apart from our fellowship with Christ the Lord as Christians, the fellowship that we enjoy with our, with our wives and wives with husbands ought to be the sweetest fellowship known to man. Those are the words of the wedding ceremony, actually. And I'm glad to say that God has given grace to faith so that it is true in our marriage. And uh, she's, a, she's a joy for me. Well, that closeness, that, uh, that sweetness, that close fellowship with the Lord, that walking in the shadow of God... That ought to typify your life if you know the Lord. Some of you began well, and you walked for a while, and then you got distracted. There are many things that will distract you in this world. We talked about that last week. And our hearts, our souls are sinful, wonderfully redeemed. We're being sanctified, but we get wooed over off the path. Remember Pilgrim's Progress. Pretty far, in short, we're far afield from where we ought to be. We're looking at things we ought not to be doing. We're doing things we ought not to be doing. We're in the wrong company and the wrong friends. And all of a sudden, and it pierces our heart, and, and God's wooing us and calling us back. What are you doing off the path? Don't you know, like in paths and fields there, they're poison ivy. Get off. Stay off the field. Get stay on the path, and it'll be much better for you. Fellowship with the Lord. We must live close to him all our days. Well, how, how, does, how do we do that? Well, you could figure that out as well as I could. We could open it up. We pray. We seek the Lord as we talk to the Lord in prayer and worship and adore Him and unburden our heart and pray for one another and pray for the needs and pray for our family and pray for our church and our country. We fellowship with Him. It's one of the great uh, reversals of the curse from the, the Garden of Eden. God made Adam and Eve to fellowship with Him and they did before sin. Sin brought estrangement. Sin brought death, separation. And the bridging work, the reconciling work of the cross, the blood of Christ, allows in part the reversal of that curse. That we can fellowship with him. 
It's one of the highlights, if not the highlight of my day, and it should be yours as well as we pray, as we read God's Word and we listen to His voice. It is truth. It is the written Word. And then more. How do we live close? We strive to please Him. We just don't read the Word and pray and that's it, and go out. Right? That's not it. We're to say, Lord, help me today to live Christ, for me to live as Christ, and to die as gain, and crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ lives, and may all that I meet be blessed and lifted up, and may they see Christ in me. May I go a-fishing and serving and walking with you, for that is the essence of life. It's the joy of life, I tell you that. It is the life of obedience. It is the blessed life. It isn't bigger and better and best. It isn't. It isn't having a great name. It's not being, certainly not being in Hollywood. It's not being in certain other places. It isn't. Oh, if I just had their life. Forget it. God has designed each of us to play a part, and we're to do that and to do it all to him. And when we do that, there's a joy in our life that's unspeakable and a sense of deep satisfaction that nothing provides that. Nothing. Nothing to serve the Lord and live for Him. In Him we live and move and have our being, live close to Him. Rest, he's saying, will rest. And verse 1 comes to such one. Isn't rest a wonderful thing? Don't rest now. But isn't it a wonderful thing? Sometimes I jump in bed, faith gets upset. Why do you jump in bed? I don't know. I'm still a kid at heart. But I'm looking forward to rest. I love sleep, don't you? Yeah. I'm trying to sleep on my side. It's a little bit of a problem with that sleep apnea. I was always most comfortable on my back, but I'm sort of getting it maybe not do too good sometimes. But, but rest is so wonderful. You wake up refreshed. I feel like I'm a young again, right? And you kind of run out of gas by the end of the day. It's the electric batteries. They just run down and start moving slower and slower at the end of the day. It happens, right? It happens. There was a day my father said, we're going to tie him down. He keeps moving. Well, that's not too much. Doesn't happen much anymore, does it? There, it does somewhat, but uh, not 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 like it was. But uh, and that happens, doesn't it? God provides rest. Well, here's his confession in verse two. I mean, he jumps right in. He commends us to live close to the Lord and to find that rest. And before he develops his idea, he says, "Let me tell you my testimony by way of confession. I will say of the Lord, He's my." refuge. He's my fortress. He's going to use four metaphors here to describe the security we have in God. God's our, his shelter, his shadow, his refuge, his fortress. He's my. Don't you love the word my? He's my God and I'm his. That's true. David, in the 23rd Psalm, the Lord is my shepherd. The old Puritan said, my is the sweetest word in that whole psalm. He belongs to me. He's my refuge. He's my fortress. Mine. He may not be others, but he's mine. Isn't that great? Lowly little us. We go like, who am I? He's my shepherd, though. He's yours. Isn't that great? Oh, I love that so much. Before commending his trusting in God to us, he breaks into his own faith. Uh, his, uh, t- tells of his own faith, his own trust. Sounds like Thomas, doesn't it? John, the, the wonderful end of John's gospel, chapter 20, 28. John, uh, Thomas, called Doubting Thomas, wasn't in the upper room. 
when the Lord appeared, uh, the Lord came right through the door, tells us something about his glorified body, and be our body like that. Most of atoms are made of space. Most of outer space is filled with vacuum. And the Lord in his, uh, his resurrected body comes right through the door in the upper room. It was sealed. They were up there huddling away. And Thomas, he missed it. He missed it. Uh, and he heard about it, and he said, oh, I, I won't believe it. That's where he gets doubting. I won't believe it until I put my hands in his wounds and in his side. Well, the Lord knew that, heard that, as he hears all things. And the next week, Thomas is there, or the next time, Thomas is there, the Lord comes in, and Thomas, seeing the Lord, dropped to his knees and said, My Lord and my God. That's one of the great confessions of the New Testament. And so will you do that. I was thinking of that. I said that the other faith the other day. You know, if different famous people came in into your life, into your living room, in, into church here, right? Uh, if George Bush walked in, that'd be something, wouldn't it? We'd stand in respect probably. Let's say it's in your home, so it's not church. Uh, and you'd, you'd stand. If you came into your living room, you wouldn't remain seated on the sofa. Hey, George, have a seat. You, you wouldn't do that. You'd stand up, right? Or some of the greats that have ever been, you'd stand up. Not only in respect, but stand up to, to greet them and to welcome them. But if the Lord Jesus were to walk into your living room, I dare say you would not stand up, you would not shake his hand, you would kneel and join me and join Thomas, my Lord and my God. And so the psalmist's words are very much like that. He commends us to trust the Lord. He commends us to find our security only in Him. And then he jumps in like he's in a hurry to say, He's my, my shelter. He's my, my uh, uh, refuge. He's my fortress. He's my God. Well, four, can you say that Jesus Christ is your Lord and God? Can you say that? The psalmist said, He's my God. Thomas said, My God. I say He's my Lord and say, Can you say He's yours? You must. There's no greater decision in all of life. And it's going, going, and going, and almost gone. You must be born again. You must. Not talking about your mother or dad. Not talking about do you go to church or your mother. None of that. There are a lot of people that will be in hell forever. Church members, people that never personally were born again. Born from above, the word means. It means spiritually born how does that happen? You must receive the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior. You could be very young or very old. The invitation is giving, and God is calling. There's a general call to repent and believe the gospel, and it's a command. You must. You must. And if he is, then you can say, he is my shelter. If not, you must. Don't let the day pass. Call out to the Lord, my Lord and my God, save me from my sin. And he will. Well, B, we are urged to trust the Lord who is both willing and able to protect us from the many threatening things found in our world. Verses 3 to 8, he unfolds uh, a number of these. Now, the striking thing here is the use of the singular Hebrew pronoun you. It's not plural, it's singular. And he's going to use it repeatedly through this section. And it's a way, and I have on your sheet, of, uh, of saying each of these truths uh, must be 
must uh, are for each person individually, each one of us. It's a wonderful way of describing it. Verse 3, surely he will save you from the fowler's snare. That's a trap. And from the deadly pestilence, he'll cover you with his feathers. First, uh, we, we are protected from the subtle traps of our enemies. Traps, enemies, the fowler's snare. I had a friend, Dave Syro, who uh, was a great hunter as a young boy. I remember in junior high, uh, he, would, he uh, would always go out in the field and set his traps, and I would go with him and learn how to do that. And the, the old uh, tramp with a spring on it wasn't a bo- was not a box trap, but the spring on it, you'd open it up, and you didn't want to get your finger near that thing because it would take your finger off. And uh, Dave was really adept at, uh, he'd put the corn, piece of corn, it would lead right to that, to that trap. And, uh, and I went with him uh, occasionally, and, and it was amazing to find out what was in that trap. And he, we were going after, or he, me in a great secondary sense, going after pheasants. Because uh, they, like chicken, would just, you know, they'd be eating that kernel of corn, and he'd, he'd find something, he'd come, hey, we got two today. And their heads, sometimes their heads were not clear off, and they'd be laying right next to the trap. You'd take them home, clean them, and they'd have pheasant for dinner under glass. <laughs> Don't look at me like that. Some of you eat that stuff. You know? <laughs> but then he found other things. There were rabbits that would get caught in there and other things that uh, it was amazing. He had a rat one time. The rat went right up, whack, whacked the thing right in the head, and uh, traps. That's the idea here. He said, there are traps, and you have enemies that would hurt you. There are. Just live for Christ. Say, I'm a nice person, and you are. It's not you that they despise. The world hates Christ. He said, don't be surprised they hate you. You know, the servant's not above the master. And so uh, maybe it's just Christ in you, and there's a sense of glow and peace, and you've shared with them the gospel, and people love their sin and don't want to give that up. And don't want to bow their knee to God. And so you may feel that. And God says, I'll protect you and take care of you from the traps of enemies. Number two, next, God keeps us from sicknesses and, and disease. There's an errant teaching in some churches that somehow God guarantees that all of us are to be healthy forever. That's crazy. That's nuts. It's not true. We live in a fallen world with sickness. Some of the great saints that have ever preached and served the Lord have suffered great illnesses. Uh, Charles Spurgeon suffered uh, from, from goiter and from, uh, from other things. And, and because of that, depression and, and illnesses that were unbelievable. And he died very early, and others as well. It's not a guarantee of that. By his stripes we are healed. Often that passage is cited in Isaiah 53 as, as healing in the atonement. Listen, ultimately and finally, it's true. You're not, guess what? You're not going to have a cold in heaven. Won't that be good news? No sinus, no allergies. You won't be saying, where's the Claridin in heaven? Anybody got the D? You know, <laughs> I need help. Won't even need antibiotics. Ultimately and finally, by his stripes we are healed. But it's referring first and foremost to our to our sins. And the consequences of the first sin resulted in sickness and ultimately death, but finally because of the cross healing. Now, what does this mean? I put on your sheet here, 
that uh, this does not mean that we will never die by disease or suffer from an enemy's plot. But here, here's what he's teaching. The, our entire lives are filled with deliverances until God takes us to be with him. That's your life and mine as children of God. Our entire lives are filled with deliverances. Accidents that may have happened, little we are aware that that potential driver that would have went left instead of right and we were going down there. And won't it be interesting in heaven to discover the many deliverances that God delivered us from? There were times when I was sick and I thought I wanted to die. Sickness, you know, but God has raised me up. I'm still warm and breathing, <laughs> I think. <laughs> and most of the time when I sleep, breathing, you know, <laughs> God has delivered. When I was a young boy and we had vacation up at Lake Erie and the Canadian side, and I stepped off a sandbar. I was just a little guy. And uh, out in the water, up to here, off the sandbar, and there was nothing there. And I didn't know how to swim. And my father had always said, if you get in deep water, then don't panic. Rule number one. That's my father. Engineer, right? Don't panic. Number two, go to the bottom, push off, come up, yell. Go to the bottom. So God put that in my mind. And as a young boy, that's what I did. And amazing amazement, my father, who was a deep sleeper on the beach sleeping during that vacation time, heard my voice. And uh, I had bobbed, I don't know how many times, but I was crying in the mist and uh, thought it might have been, and he grabbed me. And uh, God delivered me through my father at that point. Should have drowned. And, and you see, uh, all these illnesses and, and, and happenstances and, and accidents, as it were, that come into our life or could come into our life, we are delivered from. You see, biblically speaking, if you know Christ, you're indestructible until the final day. You are. And so am I. Because he, our safety is in Him. He is our protector. He is our keeper. That's what the psalmist is saying to us. Isn't that great? Praise God for that. If uh, nothing else in the Christian life or even so, that would be enough to say, wow, for me it is the most wonderful thing to love and serve my Savior. Wow. Well, three, God protects us from the terror of the night. They are the lurking things that lurk about at night. Have you noticed there's a different crowd some of you, Daniel, you lived in the city for a while. There's a whole crowd that changes from day to night. I don't know if it's day shift, night shift. <laughs> it's different. It's different. And you probably don't want to be walking around dark alleys and other places. Things crawl out of there. And we're aware of that. It's just not little boys. And aren't all little boys terrified of the dark? Daddy, I saw something under my bed. You know, <laughs> I've checked three times, there's nothing there, go to sleep. <laughs> but nighttime, and in in the things that startle us at night, noises, I heard something, you know? There are things at night that will harm us. And he's saying we're protected by that. Verse 5, the shadow of the Almighty, Spurgeon wrote this, the shadow of the Almighty removes all gloom from the shadow of the night. Isn't that great? 
Number four, God protects us from the dangers of the day. That's the arrow that flies, he says, uh, that flies by day. That arrow, the bow and arrow, you pull it, a great Pennsylvania deer hunter pulls back, I'm going to let one go. Boom, there it goes. And where did it come from? And all of a sudden it lands right at you. Whoa, what was that? Sudden, unexpected, shocking, if you will, danger. Where did that come from? I didn't see that. Well, we don't see very much anyway. That's what God is telling us through the psalmist's pen, that even sudden lethal attacks that were totally unexpected, God delivers us from. Praise the Lord for that. Why? God promises, number five, to keep us unscathed, for He, He, He is our shield. He protects us like a mother bird. You ever have a nest in your backyard with the little ones there? We've had that. Yeah. You want to make sure they're safe from the cats that are, they love those little birdies to eat those, and you kind of make sure they're kind of safe, and you kind of watch the eggs break, and then the little chirping, and the little, you know, and the mother, and the mother covers with her, with her wings those little ones like this. That's the imagery. That's what God's saying. That's what I am to my children that live in the shadow of the Almighty. I protect them and hover over them. They could be no more secure than what they are. It's beautiful. If that weren't enough, he gives his second imagery there in verse 4 of, of armor. His faithfulness will be your shield and rampart. His armor, his protection that he provides for us. It's amazing. He protects us even when we're in inescapable situations. And he imagines the battlefield scene in verse 7 with a thousand falling at your side. I can't imagine the horror and the carnage of such a thing. Yeah, those of you that saw the film Saving Private Ryan will never forget uh, that opening scene on D-Day and what those brave men uh, endured. Many of them, many of them died. The bullets whizzing by as they, uh, they took the beach and stormed the uh, beachhead. Uh, the carnage and the floating bodies and the destruction. Uh, that's what I think of when I think a thousand, four, ten thousand at your right hand. I mean, bodies everywhere. And it's an inescapable uh, picture that he provides. And yet God promises to protect us in such circumstances as that. There's a story told about Charles Spurgeon, the great pastor uh, in the 1800s in London, probably the greatest Baptist pastor that ever pastored. And there he is just a young man, and he was pastoring in his first year, and the year was 1854. The city uh, had been uh, visited by Asiatic cholera, a terrible disease that in many, many places has been... Uh, uh, eliminated, and we're glad it's gone, hopefully forever. Many, the story goes on to tell, many in Spurgeon's congregation were affected. And there was hardly a family in which uh, someone didn't get sick, and many died as a result of that Asiatic cholera. The young pastor spent most of every day visiting the sick, and there was hardly a day when this young pastor didn't have to accompany some family to the graveyard to bury their loved one. Charles Spurgeon became physically and emotionally exhausted and sick at heart. He was broken. 
is ready to sink under this heavy load of pastoral care. But as God would have it, one day when he was returning home, sadly, from a funeral, he noticed in a shoemaker's shop there on Dover Road, it was in the owner's own handwriting, and it bore these words, Because thou hast made the Lord, who is my refuge, even the Most High, who is my dwelling, there shall no evil befall you. Neither shall any plague come near to your dwelling. It was a quotation from Psalm 91, 9 and 10. Spurgeon wrote that immediately I was deeply and immediately encouraged. He goes on to write, The effect upon my own heart was immediate. Faith appropriated the passage as her own. I felt secure. I felt refreshed. Girt about with immortality. I went on with my visiting of the dying in a calm and peaceful spirit. I felt no fear of evil, and I suffered no harm. The providence which moved the tradesman to put those verses in his window I gratefully acknowledge, and in the remembrance of its marvelous power, I adore the Lord my God. Well, God assures that those of us who walk closely with him will be protected from many dangers. But then he goes on and he closes out this hymn, this wonderful cheery psalm of praise, and he assures us, second, with God's victory and protection uh, over menacing beasts. And that would even include Satan. Remember, he's called the roaring lion who walks about seeking to devour Christians in 1 Peter 5. Well, I'm reminded, and let's look at verse, uh, if you will, at verse 9, for this is all important, and don't miss this. If you make the Most High your dwelling, if, circle if there, verse 10, then no harm will befall you. You see, this protection of this glorious psalm is not automatic for all of you, for all Christians. It isn't. There's a condition attached and it is this, you must be one who knows Christ, but more, be one as a believer who lives close to him every day of your life. You must be a close dweller living in his shadow. You must. God's angels and be are sent by God to protect us from these dangers. This is where we often get the guardian angels. Look what he says in verse 11. For he will command his angels, and they're his, concerning you to guard you in all your ways. It's not true that we each have a guardian angel. We like to think of that. Uh, that's not true. It's better than that. He sends his angels. Some of you need more than one, I think. <laughs> you know what I mean. And he sends them to care for you if you live close to him. He will protect you and keep you safe. They're pictured in uh, the angels as holding us up from harm, like a, a parent walking with their child and all of a sudden coming to a crack in the sidewalk or something other, lifting them right up. I used to do that. Faith would say, be careful about that. You'll pull David's arm right out of the socket. What a horrifying thought that would be like. Where's the rest of him, you know? Or 
Well, that's the idea. They hold us up from danger. Not you, David. I'm going to hear about that later now. <clears throat> but uh, we did that and love that very much, holding our children's hands and protecting them. Even the beasts, like lions and snakes, which symbolize the danger that hides and then suddenly pounces or strikes upon us, we're safe. We are safe indeed. And I remind you that this is the verse that Satan quoted in his temptation of Jesus. It's the only quotation of Scripture that Satan ever used that's recorded in the Bible. And he misquoted it. When he was tempting Jesus, jump off the pinnacle of the temple. Doesn't the word say? Remember, Jesus was saying, it is written, it is written. And it's like Satan saying, oh, you want to quote Scripture? I'll quote Scripture. And he said, didn't it say, he'll guard his angels and keep you from dashing your head? Of course, that was not God's will for him. He misquoted it, to keep you in all thine ways. That was not God's, the Father's will to Jesus. Hey, be spectacular. Hey, I got an idea. Jump off the temple. Show everybody how great you are. Wow, that'd be something, wouldn't it? That was not God's will, was it? It was tempting the Lord, and the Lord rebukes him. Deuteronomy, thou shalt not tempt the Lord your God. We'll finally see, as I already indicated, God himself breaks into the psalm. And he speaks assuring us that he will protect those of us who love him. In that, I love these words. I've circled it twice in my Bible. Verse 14, because he loves me, says the Lord, I will rescue him. I will protect him, for he acknowledges my name. He will call upon me, and I'll answer him. I will be with him. Notice, in trouble there. I'll be with him in trouble. God doesn't keep us from trouble. Oh, I wish he did. Not going to happen. He doesn't keep us from trouble, but while in trouble, he sees us through. I'm so thankful for that. And with long life will I satisfy him, fullness of life, the caveat, and show him. My salvation probably means my deliverance. What wonderful verses they are. Notice the pronoun I, it's God speaking. You see, the Lord is not only the object of our faith, and he is, but more than that, he's the object of our love. We're to love the Lord. That's what he's saying, because he loves me. And that ought to be the chief thing, that your relationship with the Lord is a love relationship. Because he loves me. Now, we fear him. He's awesome. He's great. He's mighty. He's holy. But he's our great lover, and we ought to reciprocate. Love the Lord with all your heart, your soul, and your mind, as we saw last week. As a Christian, you need to rest in God continually and trust him at all times. This means living all of life in God. That's what it means. In him we live, move. And have our being. Bless the Lord. That's our security in the new year. That's it. That's it, moment by moment. If we didn't have that, let's quit now. It's in Christ. What can we say by just a quick few lessons for life and we'll be done? Number one, live close to the Lord every day that you live. You'll never regret it. Oh, you and I will have regrets doing all kinds of other things. Oh, we'll groan. Why do we do that? But I guarantee you, you'll never regret this. You get to the end of the road, and if you're able to look back, you'll say, thank you, Lord, for what you did in my life. Live for the Lord every day. God will protect you. 
and you'll be indestructible until God takes you home. Don't fear. A lot of things to fear. Don't fear. Don't need to. There's rest. Number two, this promise of safety is not for all believers. I'll say it again. It's not for all. Not for all. But it can be. It can be for every one of you. Don't miss out on these wonderful promises. Don't miss. Be a part of that group. Oh, don't you want that? Amen? Number three. If you as a believer have strayed, and there's something in us, we sing about it, right? Prone to wander, prone to leave the God I love. Paul said it, you know, that what I want to do, I don't do. That what I should do, I don't, you know, all this, the strife of the two natures, Romans 7. You know, be careful of that. If you have strayed as a believer, come back. Come back today, today. Don't let another day pass. I call for you, I yearn for you, I pray for you. That you come back and live today and the rest of your life with all your strength, energy, and might for the Lord. If you do that, these promises are for you. Oh, they are. Number four, strive to walk as close to the, and grow in your love for the Lord every day. Remember God's words there in verses 14, 15, and 16. That's for you. In 2008, memorize your verses. Get your little packets out. Daily, meet with them. Find out to be a joy. Have a song in your heart. Be controlled by the Spirit of God. Daily, as you bathe your body, bathe your soul. Lord, forgive me for sin that I've committed. Why did I say this? Why did I think that? Why did I do that? Lord, forgive me for being hard-hearted, could care less about unsaved people. Let me have a heart for the lost and share the wonderful words of life, sins of omission, sins of commission, and walk with him. It's the blessed life. It's the best of all lives. It is. I urge that. I want the very best for you. I do as your pastor. My folks used to say that. Why didn't you get better grades? Why didn't you do this? Why that? We want the best for you. Well, I wasn't, I knew they did, but, and they were right. They were right. And this is the best for you. I urge this upon you as your pastor. It's the best. And finally, five, salvation. None of this is for you if you do not know Christ. Today, I urge you to repent and believe the gospel. Simple prayer of faith. Lord Jesus, be merciful unto me, a sinner. I don't know how you can stand me, Lord. I failed you so many times. Thank you for saving me. Thank you for Christ, and you'll be saved. Well, that's our safety in a new year. It's not in prudential. I'm sorry to tell you that. Erie insurance, oh, may be good. May not, may not be your bank account. You say, I don't have anything. Well, it may not be the pile of money you piled up. Your assets, what's your net worth? Not much. Our security is only ever found in the Lord. I'm young. It won't happen to me. No, I don't think so. It happens. Life happens. Our security is found in Him, in God Himself, safe in the arms of our Savior. <laughs> 